Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to another episode of Priority Roll. My name is Dan and today I'm joined once again by James Tinsdale for part two of our Broken Realms coverage. James, welcome back to Priority Roll. How's it going? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Not at all. So um, this is part two of our multi-part series. We know there's going to be at least four with uh, Bellacor and Kragnos on the way and who knows what's, uh, well, I mean, let's be frank, you know. Um, but other be. people don't know. <laughs> so it could be. Oh goodness gracious! I mean, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. <laughs> I'm, not I'm, sure into I'm ready it. for. It. Oh I'm goodness! Into it. Oh yeah, part ten. Like I don't know, Broken Realms, Scarsnick. You know, they're just like dragging up all these characters. Like, who who can we get involved? <laughs> Everybody, more narrative all the time. Oh, Let's do it. it. So uh, do yes, it. so so James clearly um, was with us for Broken Realms Marathi coverage, and today we are going to be talking all about broken realms techless now this is an interesting book there are there are some stuff that we are we're not we're not just we're just let's be frank broken realms techless is all about the lumineth right so yes uh there's some really significant nurgle changes um but we will hopefully be able to get a, a different host a different guest rather no We'll be having a different host. That's me all the time. Uh, we're having a different guest on to talk about Nurgle. Um, and so we, we, when I say this is the Broken Realms Techless coverage, what I really mean is this is the, the Lumina Realm Lords show. <laughs> so um, it, with the context of Broken Realms Techless having brought the changes to Lumineth, we're going to be talking all about some Lumineth lists today. So so James, when clearly you, you got the kind of finished product in your hands, having having seen it go through the process, mm-hmm. was there anything that really stuck out to you as, as quite significant for the Lumineth? Um, aside from clearly the the expanded unit choices, well, yeah, really, um, because like, I'm obviously a big fan of the Lumineth. I know everyone says that since the, the power level, it's seemingly power level has been announced. But really, when when I because I get this, the book at the same time as everybody else, right? Like I know I am privileged enough to perhaps get to see it a little bit sooner. But I ordered my my copy of Teclas like everybody else. You know, I, I was really looking forward to seeing the lore, reading the story, which gives all the identity to the new units, which I didn't think previously existed in the other battle time. So it's it feels like when you when you see the units in Broken on Teclas, that it sort of complements second half of the collection you have. You know, you have combat units, you have different kinds of elite fast attack, you have um Various um, gun batteries. You have the um, the Daenerys Arshards, you know, which is something the army lacks. You work your skill spam loads of sentinels. You have heroes on mounts. You have big banner heroes, you know, the banner blade. So there's a lot here, I think, that makes the Lumineth feel. I won't say complete because then they've got two more chambers, right? So they've got water and earth that are still unopened, or they are opened. They're just not in these books. Um, who knows when we'll see those? Uh, perhaps even the man himself, Tyrion. Um, but at this, at this point, it feels like you know a, a very well-rounded force that perhaps has multiple builds, which I think is important. Yeah, and uh, this is something that <sighs> I don't know. Like, I'm not sure I agreed with this kind of weird release half an army, then another half. Like, mm. you know, two battle tomes in such a short space of time. Yeah. It just feels like what? Why? I don't know. Like clearly, you know, GW have got their reasons. You know, they've done it for, for whatever reason. I, I just feel like you know, could we not have had the whole Lumineth release in one go? Yes, yeah, so I think I think that the thinking here is obviously with the pandemic, the books were a lot closer than they ever would have been. Um, I think as a Lumineth uh, fan or a player, you could have had potentially you know, eighteen months to two years with the first tome of the pandemic not unfortunately occurred. Um, in this sense. I feel kind of sorry for Games Workshop in that they clearly had plans to expand the range, look at a lot more models, and it just hasn't worked out that way, has it really, because of the short space of time between tones. So it does feel like the second half of the book is in this book that was released a year after the other book. So I totally get that when people feel quite aggrieved. But having said that, how good is the finished book? You know when you've got the Luminous Realm Lords with the Blade Lord on the front? It's a thick, meaty, almost Stormcast-type book, isn't it? It's very exciting if you're an elf player. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. it is what it is, and I don't know, like uh, you know, with with Brexit and COVID and you know ships upside down in the Suez Canal mm. and stuff like that, you know, there's all <laughs> sorts of you know. Let's not talk. Is that still there, by the way? No, 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 no. That, that that's, uh, that's <laughs> the evergreen. Gone. The evergreen. <laughs> he, the evergreen is is chew chewing its way along along the the, the ocean tracks, but um. <laughs> 
there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on in the world at the moment um mm -hmm. and i don't know i the thing is like what what is what is a reasonable time between battlestones because you know we, we say mm -hmm. that you know covid and everything has has delayed the, or, or things haven't been out in the order or the the schedule that they were meant to be but no. at the end of the day a battle tome has come out and then in fairly short succession now that might have been a shorter succession because of uh, global events mm -hmm. but we're not talking about you know had this gone to plan we're not talking about you know a huge amount of time perhaps um so yeah no, no. i just i just just feel it's it's a strange it's a strange uh, move now hey like i i'm privileged enough to be sent um battlestones for the podcast and, and i'm very grateful for games workshop support on that so i haven't spent any extra money on on uh, on books um but i just do feel slightly for the players you know perhaps a player who bought their uh their new battle tome you know a week or so ago and then they don't play i don't know i don't know you know what i mean it's just a bit of a it's a bit, a bit yeah, of a, it almost like, feels like a bit like of a feel bad yeah like they haven't had the use out the previous tome, right and i would normally agree but i think in this case if it was just a, a new tome with one or two kits right you, you'd probably feel a lot more grieved i think if you're a luminous player like me i mean i'm different right because i'm an addict so I'd happily have a book and 10 kits every year and I'd buy it all, right? I'm, I'm GW's dream customer. But it is a well-supported line, isn't it? This, this is like eight to 10 new kits, you know, for this tome. And you don't have to buy the play, uh, the, the Luminous tome. You can buy the Techless tome and get all the additional lore and Book of Realms stories with it. So that's maybe softens the blow, but I fully agree. Like, I, I, know, I know there's friends that just play club and stuff like that who collect Luminous that were quite a bit disheartened that they had to buy a second tome without really ever using their the other two so I, I totally get it but anyway we don't we don't want to worry about that it's just it's just just something to consider just something to consider anyway no, it's so, just unique isn't it because it's the first time we've really seen that absolutely and let's mm -hmm. let's hope that we have uh, more of a of a leveled uh sort of more structured release uh, as things get back to normal more of a structured slower scale release in the future now <laughs> yeah lunar throne lords mm -hmm. pointy elves as as they have been the best yeah, elves the best uh, controversial controversial i would say well i'm only going off what techless said you know techless is I'm not sure Teclis is really <laughs> the best judge of character or, or really oh, a reliable source in this in this instance. Marathi, for sure, Marathi disagrees. No doubt, no doubt. Um, listen, if, if your elves aren't living in trees, then they're not worth talking about. That's that's my that's my take. That's my spicy <laughs> hot take. Uh, you know to. Okay. to to coin Twitter phrase. Um, so we've got a couple of new, uh, a couple of new units, let's say. Um, but essentially, I feel like the the art. This is the army that that should have existed. My point that I was trying to make before was this is the army that should have existed when it, when it first arrived, right? So this 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 faction now feels complete when it arrived. Yeah, the, range, before, the range is here now, isn't it? The, the range is here, and and you feel mm -hmm. like you know if Luna don't get another release for the next you know two years, and it's, and people aren't going to be like, oh god, I feel like such a half an army, whereas before it, it, it kind of did so now you've got the whole mm. army as a as a big time kind of lumina fan mm -hmm. uh, i say big time rather long time because clearly they're new <laughs> um <laughs> what's you know what's going through your head now that you've got the full the full remit of uh the full gamut of uh toys to play with just mind blown isn't it like limited choice like the unlimited choice you've got like i know loads of people beforehand felt not sure shoehorn's not the right word right but they felt compelled to run techless because perhaps the best unit in the book right and like you said from a small pool you know you might think techless and friends yeah now you're like well if i don't run techless i can run severus i can run a law seeker i can run maybe Avenor in the background right all these options open up because the army now, I, be I believe, is less reliant on Teclas. He's still amazing, of course. Like we all know, you know, he's well covered. We all know Teclas. But now I think you'll start to see Luminous lists that don't have him in. And I don't yeah. know how true that was before, you know, outside of um, Sentinel Spam. I, I think that this book has definitely given you options to go for non for, for a no Teclas list. M many Absolutely. more options. And I think one of the big things that unlocks those lists is the nine inch uh, teleport from the Windlaw. The Windlaw. Now that you can teleport Stone Guard, Blade Lords, you know these units in onto objectives where they want to be, rather than previously having moved four inches or you know having to be a target for Speed of Haish, which you Dawn Riders always wanted to be. Right, um, it opens up a lot of options because now you're like, well, now I will now I will run two ten Stone Guard, you know, and I can put ten Stone Guard 
on the central objective turn one, you know, in, in Alarith, which was not true before, right? So that key tech, I think, unlocks some of the utility in those lists that perhaps was lacking before. Yeah, and I think that flexibility is something that you can see across the range. Um, yeah. Lumineth, I, I feel like they're a kind... I mean, do you feel like there's something that Lumineth don't do well? Combat units. Like... I think of... if you're playing Lumineth, you kind of want to... You want to be close to people with your debuffs, with your minuses to hit and shining company, but they don't have a hammer unit, right? They don't have the Hunter with Sides. They don't have the, um, you know, the the Grim Gas the 30 Grim Gas Reapers of Van Hills on them. You don't have these units or the Fire Slayers, right? 12 Bubbersayers. They, they don't have a unit that can just go off on its own and charge somebody and just be like, that's not a problem. You know, then there's no more guard unit in this army. I think if there was, there's very few questions you could ask this army that they didn't have answers for. But I think if you've got a good combat army and you get into them, I think they will really struggle. I mean, their damage is fine, right? It's it's, it's, it's minus one round, one damage, sort of style damage. But there's nothing there that scares you. They do... It's almost like a death by a thousand cuts in this army. And a big factor is, is the hero phase, right? It's magic. What magic do you take? What tech do you take? And then how do you support that? Do you take star sharp ballistas? Do you take sentinels? Do you want to take the wind chargers or the dawn riders and be mid-board early and get those scores quickly before your army starts to disappear? It's it plays a lot like the the Broken Realms law, like you know, when they invade Shaish, spoilers if no one's checked up in the first act. But you know, they, they go in, they do some damage, but they get out, right? They don't you don't want to hang around in combat. So I think that's how I think if you were a Fire Slayer player or a, a, an Ideal player, you'd be very comfortable that if you got into combat with this army, it, it couldn't really scratch you. And I think that's one of the one of the important perhaps uh, weaknesses it has because they're strong everywhere else, right? But the, the, in the other areas, they are very strong. And do you th- do you think not having a a combat block? I, I don't. I personally don't think that's a, that's too much of an issue given the maneuverability, the the threat range. Yeah, sure, they've got the kind of Swordmaster esque things, but like yeah. But the blade lords, blade lords are fine, right? Like they have a nice shrug. Blade lords are fine, but like they don't need them. So you're, you're saying if there's no. one thing that Lumineth doesn't do well is having a big a big combat block. Now, do they need to do that well when they have all those other options? No, but that is the weakness they have, right? If you get mm. into them, they can't push you back. They can't fight you. Um, and that's how armies can beat them, right? Like they, they're like, how do I close the gap? How do I get into Lumineth? You know, I want to really be charging Lumineth turn two and make them earn those objective points. Don't just let them spell me off, shoot me off, or you know, stand back in their shining companies with their wardens and just deny me points. Um, I think that's how you can get after this army. And I think when you look at the TTS uh, results that people have been showing data for, when you talk to people that have played the army, it's it's not the all-seeing powerhouse that perhaps it reads on paper. Um, and I think that's really interesting because I think when you play games with this army, you get that added perception of, I think a Luminous player is aware of what their weaknesses are in true techless fashion, but they just don't let their opponent know, you know, like a, like a proper elf, if you will. So I think that's really cool uh, when you take on the identity as well, the role of the army when you play them. Um, oh, I mean, cool. as, a, as a squig player, you know, I, <laughs> I, I definitely get into the mindset of the grots and squigs. I feel like I kind of really <laughs> embrace that, the nature of that army. I just have this image in my head of like all the squigs escaping from a moon clan moonshine and all the courts have to go outside and round them up. And it's just how fun that must be. Like if you're just watching at the distance like of all the Benny courts. Hill music playing. Get them back in the cave. Um so yeah, but I think that is I think where Lumineth are at the moment. They're not a combat army, but they are almost a master of all trades. And I think it's interesting because I think there's and this is credit to the rules writers, right? There's a lot of units in this book that are demanding attention. They want to be used. They're all perfectly viable, perhaps with the very caveat of maybe one or two. Um and it's such a big range, that's a big deal, right? Because it feels like if they perhaps got a balance adjustment to one unit, they'd have an answer elsewhere. Um so and it's rare that you see this with such a big range. I think Seraphon is probably the other example of that so and seraphon i think done quite well uh, we, we never really got to see seraphon breathe i know your beloved dinosaur brothers um but just because the pandemic hit straight after their book arrived but i think seraphon and lumineth are quite similar in the fact they probably caught like 15 plus viable units right and that's really healthy for the game and healthy for a lumineth fan and somebody that buys the army in the same way that it's healthy for seraphon player because well, i just want to add this in We've both seen the Croak model revealed on Warhammer Community this week, right? It's an absolute beast. So I just want your take on it. I love it. I just want your hot take. Uh, Well, my spicy hot take is that it's phenomenal. Would you go as far as to say it's the best model they've ever made? (sighs) 
I mean... Oh, it's up there, isn't it? It makes you think. So that this is actually a really interesting question because I have always said Alariel's the best model they've ever made. Wow, okay. Up until now. <gasps> so it is the best model? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying okay. Okay. I have previously said that. Now, okay. I was think I was thinking about this the other day um, whilst I was having my, you know, painting some dinosaurs, no doubt. And I was thinking, is Croak now that model? Because Alariel's amazing in terms of like, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, you know, She's amazing. She's an elf god riding a war beetle. Oh, absolutely. Love it. (laughs) But we've only seen, um, you know, the the kind of front aspect of Croak. Mm. And I think think there's also a a top-down. There is a top-down, which does show you the kind of the 3D nature of of the the kind of the gyrosphere thing. And that, to me, is what is the coolest thing about this model, is that you have this kind of 3D floating. Do you remember when you saw the Light of Eltharion model? And you thought, oh, no way, that's what kind of, that's what modern miniature design is all about. Yeah. I feel like this has kind of taken that up a notch. I think he's incredible because for me, I I liken him a little bit to Teclas. You know, when you saw Teclas initially, I know it was quite Marmite. Some people loved him, some people didn't. But when you see the 360 view of him, it really improved the model. People could really get get a feel for the model and I think then everyone just was like loved the model but I think the croak seeing that in 3D on the table with a 360 view on it is just going to be insane and that's before all the top painters and hobbyists get a hold of it I cannot wait to see the sick conversions paint jobs um, people theming their armies around him somebody is going to use that kit to and this is completely off topic but it's going to convert that kit you know that sphere that's around him into some Nightbringer for Necrons to match the oh, Iron yeah. Dragon. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. The Void what Dragon. What for that is, because I've seen Darren Latham's Instagram this week of him doing his, you know, no no effort conversion for a Night... Is it Night Hunter? The Nightbringer. Nightbringer, It's just yeah. incredible. Like, like, he makes it look so easy, but it's like... It looks like it could be the model. Like, it's so good. Um, so I think Croak's kit will be really good for that. And, and other things, right? But it's such an amazing, amazing model. So I just wanted to bring that up, because what a model. It is. Uh, yeah. It's it's amazing. And it's it's a real kind of throwback to the kind of slam throne of, of previous, you know, previous generations. Um Dare we say lizard men. Dare we? Yeah, dare we. <laughs> we don't, we don't. We're very much age of Sigma here. Um okay. but also it's it's new and and oh, I don't know like even the snakes the, the, the even the little kind of three spikes that come out the bottom of it it's got those little mm-hmm. kind of bits on it and yeah uh, just just wow I mean that skink spear looks like it's gonna snap in about three seconds but whatever oh for um, sure that's never making out of the carry case <laughs> <laughs> but you'll pay you'll pay that price you know? yeah yeah because yeah. I just think like it's just and the best way I describe it to people is that model every inch of it has had love you know like from the skink on the base to all the small details even the inscriptions in the chair right everything has from top to bottom and that's what you want from a model like that right because he's a huge centerpiece and how exciting to have that stuff now yeah totally looking forward to the new rules and seeing how uh, i can incorporate him into my stegadon lists now every my- seraphon player is holding their breath now like come on lord croak Sal- yeah. salvation is coming <laughs> absolutely we are we are very much looking forward to it. yeah no this- lord croak pointy elf pointy eared yeah. nonsense um so croak croak is croak is going to be a good, a good model um obviously we'll be doing lots of we'll be doing a perhaps a, a whole dedicated croak episode a croakisode if you will croakisode, when, very nice. when the uh when the great plan is revealed however we're going to be talking a little bit more about some armies that you've kind of thrown together i say thrown together that makes them sound really like <laughs> that you wrote on the back of a cigarette packet yeah but I might have done for you now. I'm just trying to pretend that I haven't. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell us about some of the lists that you've uh, that you've come up with, and tell us about um, the kind of concept behind them, what you wanted them to achieve, and, and how they achieve that. So, is, is, have we got two or three to talk about today? I've got two main ones. We can probably stretch to three if if we want to. But the problem I have on our right list is I'm too excitable. Like Rich is always telling me just to focus on the good stuff. But I get super excited about themes and running stuff, you know, that perhaps I I would argue is is fine. But you know, some people might might think that perhaps, for instance, the Venari Lord Regent, but I want to run Leoria uh, Uthral because obviously he's the warden of Eumetrica. So if you're running Eumetrica, why would you not have him? It's just epic. Um, and you can just imagine him riding with all the Dawn Riders, coming over the hills, the Vanguard charges aside, whilst all the arrows come over them. And it just reminds me of the opening scene in Gladiator. And then before you know it, I've written like six lists with him in. And I'm like, 
not even paying attention to the football anymore. So that's why I get struggle with the lists. But I've got like two that I would, you know, if it was a tournament tomorrow, I would take these lists. Um, so I'm going to start with Numetrica, okay? Because that's where we're locking it in. Yeah, it's the best nation. It's the great nation, if you will. Um, and and I'm what's, the, what's the kind of the theme or concept around this list? So mm, it, it's really having just how can I support best I can with 10 stone guard, okay? Because I want them to go to the centre of the board, stand on objectives, parry, defend, whilst the rest of my army plays to mission, right? I'm basically wanting to ask you as many questions as I can, um, and you might not have time to answer them, okay? So that's where I'm going with this. That's at least the thought process. Um, could could horribly backfire, if you know, <laughs> but uh, who knows? But I would take this for sure, and I'm actually literally painting this up. So this is probably, I would say this is my starting point for my Luminous journey. Um, unless, unless Fitchy manages to convince me that I don't need to untackle us, but he, he's trying hard. So I will say, so Great Nation Numetrica, okay? I know a lot of people like to run Sayar, but cool. Um, my general is the Sonari Cathalar. She's going to take the Almighty Blow Command Trait, which perhaps not the best on her, but, you know, it, it's okay. And, and what and does that do? So the Almighty Blow, it gives additional damage to an attack. You just have to take it with the, uh, the Great Nation. It's not really... Um, super sexy it's she's never going to be in combat and if she is it's, that almighty blow is not going to save her like in, in any in any shape or form sadly i mean i would like it to but it's just there's not much that she's ever going to be able to do but um it's basically when it fights instead of piling in and attacking you can say that you release a single almighty blow and if you do so you pick one enemy unit within one of this general and roll a dice for a two plus they take deep in mortal wounds so you can see what i mean by she will never use this but it has to go it's the command trait so it has to go on the general okay um so that she's the general and she's going to take the ethereal blessing spell which is the one that once cast on the unit makes them immune to vent okay so that's kind of doubling down on the eumetric of rules because eumetrica has the Mountain Realm ability, which the Enduring as Rock Battle trait changes the rain characteristic for an attack that targets a Eumetrica Alarith unit in the Mountain Stance to minus if the weapon used for that attack has a rain characteristic of one or two instead of only one. So what that basically means is any Alarith unit in, in Eumetrica already ignores minus one rent, but they can also now ignore minus two rent, which is really cool, right? That's really, really cool ability, um, especially when there's lots of pesky Morsar guard around. Um, so yeah. Cathalar's a general. Gonna add everyone's favourite new hero in, the Law Seeker. And he's gonna take the uh the Law of Haish, the Lambert Light. Because he's usually he's going to pop up in the middle of the board. He's a good source to cast Lambert Light, and Lambert Light gives my missile attacks rerolls, right? So it's a law spell from 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 the law. So he's a good little source for that. Um now he'd probably be far away from the army due to his um early deployment, so he won't be able to probably receive the buff of my of um Selena, because obviously Teclas will go by deployment zone, but he's a good He's a good source for that. And then the big man himself, Teclas, and Selenar, I suppose I'd say. Spirit of Aish. Um, those my, that's my three heroes. Cathalar, Lawseeker, and Teclas. Then I've got my ten stone guard, which will sit in front of my army. Two wounds apiece, which is rare for an elf, isn't it? Two wound elf. Um, ignoring them one and two. They can obviously have Mystic Shield cast on them. They can also use the Aether Quartz to improve their save by plus one. So they could be a three-up re-rolling ones, ignoring them one and two, albeit only for one turn with, with the Aether Quartz, but it's still a big anvil, right? Uh, supporting them, I've got 10 Wardens with the Speed of Haish, 10 Wardens Lambert Light, 10 Sentinels with Total Eclipse, which is everybody's favourite double CP spell, 10 more Sentinels with Lambert Light, because it's such an important spell. But then I've got five Venari Blade Lords. Now, not to fight, but I will use Teclas to cast a Wind spell to teleport them next to the Law Seeker, essentially giving my Law Seeker 10 more wounds. Unless, I, you know, my luck, I'll roll loads of ones. So they'll essentially be his personal bodyguards. And then to round the list off, I'm going to have five Venari Dawn Riders, or the Speed of Haish, and the Umbral Spell Portal. And that comes in at 2,000 points total, 107 wounds. That's the first list. And that's probably and what I would play. What What is it? that You've, you've picked that one first, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to say that perhaps that's your that's one you feel is the strongest or perhaps your favourite. Um, what is it about this list that kind of made it number one for you? So there's a there's a, a tendency to run Sayar for the double Aether Quartz, which I absolutely agree with. I think there's lots of utility in that. However, if you're running 10 Stone Guard in Alarith, they are seriously hard to move. And it's so many times in this game 
when they can just teleport to an objective um, early in the game and just if they score score it for two turns that is enough for Illuminati to win the game and all they have to do is really withstand them it, it takes so much resource to shift um, they almost become a distraction on their own so whilst they're over there I've still got Teclas 20 Wardens 20 Sentinels 5 Dawn Riders you know plus my Law Seeker stealing another objective somewhere um, coming up to the midboard so it's a really really hard list to answer and it has a lot of utility I don't think there's anything I can play that I will be concerned of I think, you know, we talk about Seraphon, we talk about um, Zinch, we talk about um, Deepkin, you know, a lot of armies that you think will be quite strong, that ask lots of questions. I really think this could have a lot of answers. Wardens are in Shining Company, the Sentinels are in Shining Company, you know, potentially the Blade Lords are, I'd have to double check if fives count, but maybe they do, because um, I know the Dawnwilders get it. I'm trying to remember if Blade Lords do, but I think the Dawnwilders get it. Um, so, you know, all the units are minus one to hit, the Stone Guard been one and two they do lots of damage as well like you can buff them um i've got stone mallets in mine i know some people like the picks but you know an elf with a hammer just has to happen doesn't it really um and the law seeker is a pesky hero as well because if you imagine playing this list turn one i'm going to put 10 stone guard on one objective a law seeker pre-game one another and then Teclas, with all his damage and spells, is going to move up the board with 20 Wardens and 20 Sentinels, casting Lambert Light on something. And then putting his um, um, Searing Light spell through the portal, which is basically 18 inches from the second portal, which can do D3 or D6 mortal wounds on every unit in my opponent's army. So it's going to hit hard, and then it's going to play the mid-board really well. So I think it has a lot of utility. Now, it doesn't feature a lot of the sexy uh, Severith or the Hurricane Wind Charger models that everyone is all the rave, but I think this they, list... They are they're going to ruin the game, right? <laughs> well, we'll get to them in a minute, but this list, I think, is something I would... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to play this list. Like, I'm literally painting it right now. So I'm, I'm five Blade Lords, a Law Seeker, because obviously I had to wait for the release. Um... And I just haven't got around to my Dawn Riders yet. So once they're done, I'm ready to roll, you know. So that's that's really where I'm going with that. So I think that's me coming out the gate. It's probably my, my favourite list. Obviously, negatives, it's high drop. You know, I don't really have... Wardens are quite decent in combat, but I don't really have a uh, an elite combat unit that I've discussed before. Maybe they don't have that anyway. So um, just have... before, you, before you go on there, I've got two questions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I'll ask them both just so I don't forget them by the time you've answered the other one. So the first one is is drops. Uh, let's talk about mm -hmm. how much drops matters um, and and actually, you know, wh whether whether you feel we can answer that in, in the current meta, which is there are well, no... Well, I think I've taken the approach that they don't, right? Because... So, so, so hold, hold, hold that hold that thought. Hold that thought. In. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the second question, just so you can seamlessly flow into it. Uh, and plus, because my memory is terrible, and by the time you answer the first one, I'll have forgotten it. <laughs> cool. And the second question is, um, you've identified that one of the weaknesses of list is... You feel like the the swordmasters, you know, don't necessarily shore up the, uh, the weakness. Uh, to what extent do you feel like when you're designing a list, you should shore up your weaknesses or just accept them? So I looked at it a few ways. Um, I think if you were going to look for a combat that could mainstay in combat or fight its way out of a bad spot, I think you're not going to find it in the Lumineth book. I think the better way to go is to stack up on Venara units with the Shining Company rules. For anyone who doesn't know, Shining Company is if you set up in a set formation, usually touching the bases of two other models, you get minus one to hit. So you become a Shining Company. So all my Sentinels, Wardens, Blade Lords and Dormiders potentially are a minus one to hit, or, you know, once deployed. Um, now with the Wind Temple spell, I can continue to redeploy them because when you complete various actions, you can potentially break your Shining Company, like Charging, for instance. So there's ways for me to re-establish the Shining Company uh, formation. So I think I've done high drops because my army is basically at minus one to hit um, to start the battle. My my Anvil unit involves men one and two. I have obviously the ability to use the Aether Quartz, which the Luminous has access to, which is... Um, I once became ability for each unit. Cathlar, once I do use that, can then bounce that minus one bravery for the rest of the game off the unit onto someone else. Um, so yeah, I feel like if I didn't go first, I don't mind. But the you're also playing the game of Teclas that your opponent is going to probably give you the first turn because you're out of range of all Teclas' spells. You're kind of assuming your opponent is going to force you to go first. Um, which is absolutely fine with my list because then my law seekers are already on the objective. I can send the stone guard over. I can move my army up. All my buffs and spells go up and I just sit and wait. I also control ties for the priority roll. So that's just 
one of the advantages of the list, I wanted to build something that didn't mind going first, if that makes sense, because most low drop lists want their opponent to go first, unless they can take massive advantage of it, like KO, for instance. And I think this list does that. You know, if KO are against this, they're hitting on fours, they can use their Aether Gold, perhaps, and, um, and a CP, they'll probably get a few units, but not a lot. They certainly won't get the Stone Guard. Um, they might have to put a lot of damage into into Teclas just to get him. Um, so I think, it, I think it has a lot going for it. Um, considerations, of course, are would I potentially drop a unit to, to get in some wind charges? Because um, I think five have a place, but we'll see. I mean, I'll have to do the science with the list and uh, play my journey. Um so that's, that's the first list. I'm excited about it. It's Eumetrica. It's the Great Nation. Everyone's in light, light gold and white armor. That's a proper high elf army, right? As people tell me. And then, Did you play and high then elves back in the day? I briefly bought some high elves when I was kind of mm. trying to get into eight. Um, and then I realized that I was more of a wood elf fan. So I, I kind of jumped ship and started painting the thing green. Hence the um, Hilario Allegiance. Exactly, exactly. Now, <laughs> now going back to the first question, mm-hmm. drops. To what extent do you feel when designing... And I'm not talking necessarily about this list talking about stuff in general Mm -hmm. to what extent do you feel like drops matter Uh, i think you have to understand how your army functions i think if you're playing a ko army you have to decide early if you're going to go into the battalion and be one drop for the alpha with the vortex or if you're just going to be loads of drops and just no deploy right because nobody wants to give ko the first turn but they also don't want to give ko the double turn right so it's it's a nice little headache for your opponent um i think you have to understand your army change host seems of course wants to go first wants to get its spells off it wants to get its horrors established um but armies like fire slayers happy to go second or made to go first you know i think if it's what what are you trying to, to beat will be my answer like are you because seraphon is potentially high drops because they have access to a lot of great great utility that they want to include which doesn't come at the cost of battalions um i'm not sure i think drops perhaps matter to some lists and it matters a lot like Zinch Change Host, for instance, like Zinch Demons. Without the Change Host, would they be anywhere near as powerful without the Teleport and all those six-up saves? I don't know. Um, but I think as we move into, like, I think this year four or year five of, of AOS, I think people are kind of getting used to not always having to give away the first turn. Some people are happy to take it, start scoring on objectives and deny scoring because they're more comfortable in the scenario. And I think that that's the kind of army Lumineth wants to be. That that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think we're well into we're well into year six now. Uh, we're, we're in, into the sixth, the sixth year. Um, we haven't yet hit six years yet. Uh, but did, do you not remember we had five years of AOS recently? Last I do summer, remember now that you told me, but I feel yeah. like I've been locked down forever. Fairly certain. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both. So, Fairly yeah. certain. There was even a priority role episode about it. Um, but uh, oh, of course, it does feel the, like a, a distant, a really distant cool, dream. Many, yeah. many decades ago at the moment. You had all the really cool contributions. That, you know, that was a cool episode. I actually remember now that you said that. Uh-huh. Yeah. cool so second list tell me about that mm-hmm. what, how does this differ uh, this is more for flavour really and obviously like I said to you I've developed this with my, my friend Peter um, as we as we talk Lumineth a lot um, so this one probably differs to some extent because it's not really running techless you know um, in fact actually what I'll do is I'll go through a, a straight um, a straight Eumetrica one right because I think that's quite a cool coolest to do um, without techless so this one is alan stone mage is the general again the mountain skiff now what's cool about the alan of stone mage is it has access to the um the law of the mountain so in this one she's going to take the law spell voice of the mountain which is minus two bravery in that turn and then minus one bravery until the next hero phase so essentially the turn you cast it the board the whole board is at minus two bravery and then in your opponent's turn they go back down to minus one so Which is quite a cool on, effect because the voice echoes, right? On that, do you think <laughs> bravery mechanics matter? They do in Lumineth. Now, normally, when you see bravery debuffs, you go, okay, well, I can inspire, you know, I can... There are ways around it, right? Uh, Bone Reapers, for instance, just don't even play the Battleshock phase. They're just waiting around going, what are we fighting, you know? But Lumineth, with, the, with combinations like the Voice of the Mountain and various other spells, which we get to in a bit, is based on your bravery. They can almost deny you fighting. They can deny you to move. They can deny you to cast spells. They can bounce Battleshock back onto a unit. So if you cast Total Eclipse, so if you think of this combo, right, you cast Total Eclipse, which means every command ability your opponent spends till your next hero phase costs 2 CP. Okay, so Inspiring Presence now costs 2 CP. You come into the Lumineth, you fight some Wardens, you kill 5 or 6. Now they're brave with 6, they don't want to take any Battleshock. The Cathalar behind can roll a 2+, and it can bounce that Battleshock unit 
back onto a unit that just thought, provided they've lost a model, right? Because they still have to be eligible to take the Bowshot test. But if they've only lost one model, and then all of a sudden you apply the six modifier for the wardens you just killed, do it minus seven bravery. And because it's turn one, they don't have two CP. Or maybe they do, right? But they've used it on their command abilities. Um, and all of a sudden now they can't take that Bowshot test. You know, it's a big deal. And Voice of the Mountain allows you to cast minus two and have your Sentinels shoot your opponent take a battle shot test, potentially an additional two modifier, which against something like Morsar Guard, which is Bravery 6, or some Cities of Sigmar units, you know, in particular, that could be a big deal. You know, that could that could get you two or three models off the board, perhaps, if somebody spikes a five or six that is just additional. So I think Lugnath do actually take advantage of the battle shot rules perhaps better than most which is cool because it's cunning like an elf right no yeah that does make sense and what about outside of the lumineth for those for those other faction players that are listening to this jealously thinking oh that's all well and good but what about me <laughs> you know, do you think do you think bravery bomb mechanics you know bravery stacking you know maybe like a horror ghast and then some you know, night haunt unit or something like you know uh what's that forge rod thing that was used to be amazing the mongol the mongol you know th- things like oh. a horror ghast with a mongol make or... you rest in peace yeah yeah um I do think they matter because not so much as in that your opponent will fail them, but I think if you, because inspiring presence always exists, right? And it's a very strong way just to nullify the, um, the battle shot phase. However, if you can put your opponent in the command point hole because they're having to spend CPs on inspiring presence, you can actually take away some really key command abilities. So it perhaps isn't as prominent in other factions, because I think perhaps the Lumineth is probably the clearest example where they can do a couple of cool combos and you can feel clever and you can remove models of Battleshot um, that perhaps can't be nullified because of Total Eclipse spell. However, I think if you can, like for instance, a good one, a good example would perhaps be Zinch, right? Zinch would bravery 10 on their horrors. So the horrors do split when you kill them. So it increases their Battleshot bravery to perhaps 11, maybe even 12, right, if you kill enough. However, they still need a command point to inspire that unit, right? They can't just, obviously Destiny Dice on a 1, they can get away with it, but they, but usually not, right, because the first 10 wounds take away the banner. So Zinch actually do need their command points, and they actually suffer if you, because their Anvil army all of a sudden starts to disappear if you put them in a Battleshock hole. So I think... Battleshock is probably, it's a tool I think some players will use well, um, and perhaps some other players overlook. It's there to be used, and it can put your opponent in a CP hole early if you can combo it correctly, yeah. Because, for instance, Iron Jaw's super CP heavy. However, if you go first and hit a lot of their units, they're all Bravery 6, and the Iron Jaw's player doesn't want to inspire his, his brutes or his art boys, but he, he also can't afford them to run away because there are so few models. So that's a nice headache for them as well. So it's interesting. I do think, or what do you think? Well, but before I give my response, um, how much is putting your opponent in a hole worth so it's mm. all well and good saying yes yes um you can you know strip someone of their cp and and that puts them in a difficult position but 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 what what cost is that you know how how many points <laughs> should you invest in being able to do that it depends and i think that comes down to specific armies right and how much you're willing to to think about your army but also think about your opponent's army if you're playing change host it's probably a priority to start hitting those horror units right anyway before you even get to the battle shock. But if you if you would normally split just to split some horrors and leave banners alive, obviously that's not ideal. But if you hit two or three horror units in, let's say, post Suplicius well enough early, that Zinch player can't, it doesn't have, unless they've got three or four ones on their Destiny Dice, which would be cool, but you know, you are gonna get that sometimes, it's a dice game. But more often than not, they're gonna really, really struggle to save those units and they might just lose 20 horrors turn one that, that you didn't even have to fight. So I think it, it can be important, but you have to understand your army. Cowgen Overlords, for instance, a lot of Bravery 6 units, they like to use their gold to reroll the wounds, and then they want to spend CPs to reroll ones to hit by, like, like in a double combo. Um, if you can deny them that, it makes the shooting a lot less reliable, and all of a sudden that huge impact turn they're always looking for doesn't happen, and then then you get into player mentality, because if your KO army does really not anywhere near the damage you thought it was, all of a sudden you might mentally start to think, oh no, it's not going so well, and start making decisions perhaps to be more defensive, which doesn't really suit your, your army's playstyle. And it can cause all kinds of domino effects. So I think it's really interesting to look at, but in some armies for sure, it doesn't 
it doesn't make a huge difference. Like if you're a Nurgle army, you don't care. Um, if you're Bone Reapers, you definitely don't care. Um, there's there's a few armies in the game that perhaps don't, and it's a shame, but don't really get as much involved as others. So, but they have other phases, right, where they're perhaps they're more prominent. And the Bone Reapers in particular have their um, relentless discipline, so they, they they probably don't mind because they can generate their own in many different ways, and they even have their own units use uh, commander points, the discipline points. So it goes up and down. But I think for the most part, it's, you know, in regards to Lumineth bringing it full circle, it is something you want to be looking at as a Lumineth player and perhaps getting used to because you might not have had that much more familiarity with it in previous armies. Like if you use Nighthorn, for instance, command points are super important. Um, but in Lumineth, if you cast Total Eclipse, you shut off a lot of what Nighthorn wants to do. And then all of a sudden you start putting them in a command point hole before you even get to Battle Shock. And, and, and death units do take Battle Shock. People forget that. The bravery 10, sure, but when you've lost four and I bounce seven casualties on you and you're already minus 12, um, and then you've got to roll D6, it can get it can get nasty. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying, whether I think it's worth it, um, I just feel like there's there's you need to be able to impact a lot of units to to make it worthwhile. Now, things like the Horogast, you know, bravery debuffs for things that are within range rather than target a unit. I think they're le- legit. And if you have like a splash damage spell where you can do sort of, let's say, D3 mortal wounds to like a Stormcast Comet type thing. Yeah, well, Teclas has Searing Light, right? Yeah, absolutely. Searing Light is a great <laughs> example, but we've already we've already discussed that Lumineth are are good at the bravery thing. So, yeah. so, so yeah. they're out they're out of this equation. Seraphon? They're out of this discussion. What about Seraphon? your beloved Croak? Does he yeah, got a big so... tornado spinning around the board? So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to talk about Croak and Tornadoes at the moment because, uh, you know, frankly, <laughs> they, they don't make the Bailwind Vortex anymore. They don't sell the Bailwind Vortex anymore. So is it going to be a thing mm-hmm. in the future? You know, TBC. Uh, and mm-hmm. frankly, Croak's about to get a new model on a potentially larger base size um, from for what it looks like. So, you know, is, is he even going to be able to fit and you know how many wounds is it going to have because it's wounds not base size that, that um, limits the Bailwind these days isn't it so indeed so you know is is uh, you know it's a rhetorical question clearly James but you know is Croak going to be wounded out of the uh, the Bailwind so is is the Croak Nado a thing of the past you know I, I, mm-hmm. I would be surprised if if it was so uh, so yeah I, I think that's not not a rabbit hole we, we need to go down until we've got the, the rules in front of us so um, I think that the something like a horror ghast with seraphon and the amount of mortal wounds they can do could be could be legit i, I consider taking one in the original pterodon list um and then the original th- pterodon list eh? yeah yeah pterodon back, back in business back in the day well i'm 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 thinking of um morphing into stegadan oh i see Thunderlicious? yeah oh naturally mm-hmm. naturally which is even more of a meme list i, I think i think pterodon <laughs> was a good list but stegadan i don't believe is it's something with with too many legs um but yeah so (laughs) i think it's something that you you can do but i i just don't see it being a a fundamental part of the army i think if you if you have ways of doing it by by luck you know you happen to choose units or spells that can have this kind of splash damage and bravery effect then fine but i just don't think it's worth building your army around or or not not even building your army around i don't think it's worth making it a primary function of your army no but i'm I'm happy i'm happy to be corrected you know i'm happy for people to tell me (laughs) they've got the ultimate bravery bomb list and and they can come on the priority roll and talk to me about it um and and we can play a game maybe but uh yeah i I don't think it's i don't think it's Well, I think you'd be absolutely right to say that normally, but the Lumina, getting back to the list, to tie it in full circle, Alarith and Lumina actually do build lists around manipulating the battle shot uh, and the bravery of other units. Now, with Lumina, they don't they don't just do it to try and get you to lose a few extra models in the battle shot phase. So in this list I've got here, obviously, with the Stone Mage, she's taking Crippling Vertigo. And Crippling Vertigo is basically your 2d6 before you make a move, a charge, or a pile in. And if the roll is greater than your bravery, you cannot do it. So when I take minus two off you with Voice of the Mountain, cast Crippling Vertigo on that unit, which could be like 20 Hearth Car Berserkers, right? And then I put you at another minus one um, from the Catalog with me using my the Quartz bouncing it across to you. All of a sudden now, your Bravery 7 unit needs to roll a three or less to do anything, which is quite spicy as a defensive mechanic. And there's nothing Inspiring Presence can do to save you, right? Like that's that's completely in the Lumineth player's control through the choice of spells they wish to cast. Now, obviously, these can be unbound. Players have auto unbinds becoming more common in the game now, but that's a combo you can do. And second to that, if you're using Alarith list and you want to get even spicier, I'm talking like 
ghost chili spice you can then cast entomb on a unit that can't move or pile in right and you can kill the model in the middle of the unit break coherency and watch the other half of the unit disappear because it can't pile in um so it's got some spice these salarith lists i mean they're not nothing um but i'll go through them anyway so we've got ablan or the stoneheart king because obviously in your metric why wouldn't you want him um now he's only got minus one rend but he does have five damage on all his attacks but if you're within 12 of him he just has an innate minus one which is huge right it's just always on it's on from deployment you don't have to worry about it he's going to stand there with both hammers out he's in his war form he's looking around the battlefield he's, he's all towering above the rest of the guys epic yeah Avalanor is the actual literal king. Um, put your put your little scenario law seeker in there, everyone's favourite. And then a unit we've not spoken about yet, but Severith. Yeah. So Severith, Lord of the Seventh Wind. Why is it seven? You can read the law, but um he is he's a pest, isn't he? He's he's perhaps what a fox should be. Hard to track down, hard to catch, hard to shoot if you're a farmer. I recently read <laughs> I recently read the fantastic Mr. Fox because I bought my daughter the um the Royal Doll collection of books. Now, obviously, she's only nine months, so she can't read them. But I was going to read them to her when she gets a bit older. But like everybody, I wanted to relive my childhood, so I've been going through the Royal Doll books. Ah, oh, Fantastic so, Mr. Fox is an absolute treat. You know, just amazing. The farmers right. are so cool as well. Like, <laughs> the, the way that Quentin Blake draws them is so. Oh funny. yeah. You forget, you forget when you're a kid, and then you go back to it, and you think so good. Uh, anyway, but so there you go. So he's in the list, and obviously he's got a lot of shenanigans, right? So. These shenanigans were were a subject of of much much <laughs> gnashing of teeth on yeah. online. I had yeah. a lot of people message me and be like, "Oh, he can move in the shooting phase." So, like, you know, how can you ever shoot him? And I had to literally point to the word and say, "It's at the end of the shooting phase, guys. You can you can shoot him." Um, now, him being in Eumetrica, um is is good, right? Because he's it's his great nation, of course. Um, so he gets additional benefit to being immature, but he's also your piece where he's your speed piece, right? Because algorithm predominantly quite slow. And I know the internet is quite mad at him being able to move in the opponent's shooting phase. He can do a move after he shoots. Um, he obviously moves 24 inches. If you want to cast speed of hiation him, he can go 48. He has um when he moves over a unit he, or, he can do d3 mortal wounds obviously that can be multiple times if he's doing a nice combo of, of movement shenanigans but you have to sort of scale back a minute and live in the real world where your opponent is going to respond is going to hit him with spells is going to shoot him he only has 10 wounds so he's not indestructible so your opponent can get to him plus severith might be a very elusive character but he's also playing a game where objective play and objective scoring is king. So if you've got 300 points just shooting four arrow shots, you know, 48 inches away from you or 24 inches away, and he's not doing anything else, you're probably going to trade that all day, right? You're probably going to say, okay, Severith, you sit over there. I'll lose two or three models a turn from you. That's fine. But you're worth 300 points, right? So that's probably a fair trade. And then I'll play 1,700 points against 2,000. And you probably have an advantage. So I think Severith, in reality, is actually closer to units than people think. He's probably trying to do sneaky power shenanigans with, being a, 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 um, with his uh, um, wind abilities. And he just becomes a, a real pest. And why I've got him in this list is because, obviously, not only can he jump out with the law seeker and score early, but he can kill skirmish units, right? You know, sometimes you see those 10 boys on the flank just having fun in the wind. Dare I say chameleon skinks, probably too soon. Um, and various <laughs> other units. It's always going to be too soon, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, you can't shoot it's... those chameleon skates because they arrive <laughs> at the end of the game. <laughs> but I thought they were always there; they were just hiding. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although they they do now need to be out by turn three, don't they? So you know. Yeah, but ultimately, Severith is really cool for going off to a flank and kind of dealing with ten people on his own. Um, you know, demonets, perhaps a summoned unit. You know, and he's just a nice piece in the army. Um, and then I've got the Hurricane Wind Mage um, because I need access to the. Law, the wind law for the teleport and obviously it has the transporting wars expel so that's the little guy in the cloud with the wand he can pick up any unit wholly within i want to say 12 pretty sure it's 12 um, and he can put them anywhere on the board nine away so and why that's important is because i have 10 stone guard 10 stone guard which being in numetrica ignore minus one and two rend um and they can obviously be teleported because they only move four so they're not super fast obviously i can put speed high on them but with limited casters, I'm probably not going to do that. So I'm really looking forward to the teleport going off. Um, and then I've got 10 Wardens, 10 Wardens, and 10 Sentinels at the end, just for a little bit of support character sniping. But 10 on their own don't really do a lot. They're not the horror stories that you hear, of course. Um, 
And then I've got the Allen of Temple Battalion. So I do have uh, less drops in this list. And I've got the Haitian Twin Stones. And why the Twin Stones are important is because you cast them first and they give minimum plus one to a unit when it goes to cast. Now, obviously, if you choose not to use it, it, it can level up. So it can go to plus two, plus three, plus four, you know. Because really what I'm doing is I'm just spamming spells or spamming, but casting spells I want to cast from my units, which are also mages, to buff the Twin Stones to a point where when I go to cast the Teleport, I'm casting at like plus six, plus seven, and the Teleport just is guaranteed to go off. Because you can't fail that spell, really. Otherwise, you're in trouble. And the Intense Stone Guard, like we discussed before, go to the mid-board with Severus coming up, the Lawseeker coming up, um, and having just a jolly good old time. So that's the list. That's another Eumetrical list. Again, my favourite nation. But Because um, I'm trying to do lists that aren't just, well, I'm Sire, so I'll just double-stand later courts and do all this stuff. Because um, I don't think technically it's the best way, um, especially with, say, our um, costing a command point. So I think... Previous talk was saying before, if you were going to play the mirror, CR, um, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it, is actually more susceptible to the total eclipse spell than you would think because it needs to spend a, a CP to do it, right? So they deplete reserves from CR, which is the other great nature, it's quite popular. You have to use it as a command ability, so you can use your second data quartz in that turn, right? Um, but not if you're in the mirror with total eclipse, it'd be very difficult to do that. So, actually, I quite like the total eclipse geometric lists against other Luminefers. So that's why I'm in the metric here again. I think um, designing a list around the mirror is is useful because if you, you know, let's say you think you've got the be one and all the best list in slice bread, then you need to be prepared to beat it. Especially well, the question if, is, if, right, if, if it's, if it's a to see Seraphon. Yeah, Seraphon's each, um, Lumineth. You know what? What can fight those? What can? can and I think the Alarith lists and the Metrica lists are really strong. You know, um, people don't realize 20, 20 models ignoring then one and two on a three up reroll and one save with two. You know, t- ten walls with two ends apiece on objectives is not nothing. And you've got to shift them because otherwise, I'm just going to win on scenario. You know, you've got to you've got to have some kind of answer. And it's very hard to answer twenty. Whilst you've got wardens blocking them with a three inch reach of their spears, sentinels shooting you, you've got a stone king running around, just ham- literally hammer and fist into units. You've got Severith on the flank with his big bow. It's just epic. Like if you imagined a Lumineth skirmish, you've got a wind god in the corner, you've got a mountain god stood in the middle of the board buffing the stone guard. You've got back to back elves with ballots with the huge mountain helms on. It's just epic. Like, there's no way you're not painting that list. And yes, of course, its power level is good. But the theme of it and the visual identity of it on the board is so rewarding as a collector and as a hobbyist, right? But it just all comes together. And I think you'll have a lot of fun playing that list because there's nothing this list doesn't mind seeing. It can play everything, right? Now, it might not always win, of course. But this list, you're always going to have a game. You're not going to get Alfred off turn one. You're not going to get spelled off turn one. Like, you're always going to have a game and you'll always have a chance to play to win, which I think is important when you write a list as well, right? You want variety. You want to, when you go to an event, for instance, you want to play five games. And it's a cool list to play against your friends as well because it doesn't have techless in. So it's a lot easier for them to grasp. But at the same time, all the heroes are doing, your hero package is doing a lot, right? So I really like that list as well. Um, now, I haven't, got it fully because i've only got 10 stone guards i think it's like 300 pounds to get 10 more so i'm going to work on that and get them but they're not cheap but i would like to do 20 stone guard because that would be epic i do remember les martin previously of the facehammer <laughs> podcast um posted on... <laughs> he's not dead he's not dead um he's moved his face on to... career is there. his face camera career uh is sadly about how he's moved on to wonderful things uh but we the... do wish him well in his new endeavor his new endeavor at the uh at the warhammer world hq so yeah very exciting for for les uh, but yeah mm. he posted a an article on warhammer community about an uh stone guard list which well, so me and les he's i'm extremely anyone who knows me knows i'm extremely excitable yeah you can put me about warhammer like even before we started this we, we were talking away and we we're like no we've got we've got to start because otherwise we'll be here for hours but like les is the same right and he has that passion as well but he was really into the stone guard and i think he he actually did buy 30 and let's correct me if i'm wrong but he has 30 and i think he painted like 15 and i think he tried to paint them so fast when they first came out he just it broke his spirit so i think he's still finishing that army and i think he did put on the face armor channel some painting guides for his cr um scheme that he had and he also uh like you said had put up a i think he did the write-up on the community page as well for them so he's massively into stone guard which is nice to see because for me are they not the best models in the range the stone uh, guard 
I mean, listen, they've got silly moo hats. I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, <laughs> what would you say is the best unit in the range? Best unit in the range? Visually, mm-hmm. the um, the new mounted hero. The new, oh, the Lord Regent. That's right, yeah. Sexy. He's very cool. But I've got a list with him in as well. Oh, no, in fact, he's in that list. He is, yeah, yeah. He, He's literally in the just list I just wrote. Um, that I mean, dare really I say, the, the Shrine Luminor. <laughs> yeah, he's literally in there. Um, so the Venari Lord Regent, because I've given him the Pommel and Speed of Heish. So, But he's another one who can... So that's another unit that's been added to the book where people are a bit like, mm, you know, why would you run a mounted hero, perhaps? And I get that. You know, like, he's not he's not a mage, per se, so he's not... Super, well, him, he is, but he's not, like, an epic cast or anything. Um, but he does have a 14-inch move. He can get mid-board with your wind charge as you draw miners. He does give you that CP protection with them. So he's a very fast-moving hero. Right? So I think he's really... Cool. Plus, of course, he can take command traits and artifacts. So he's a good general choice. Um, and I really think... He, I think he's really cool. Um, personally, I've got the kit, so I'll probably build Lyrio because I just can't bring myself not to have him because he's... He's literally the Warden of Eumetrica, which is my yeah. favourite nation. Now, the, my brain says to run the Lord Regent, because, of course, I, I think that's a more flexible choice. Mm. But I, of course, will run Lyrio. So Naturally. Fine. And I'll wear that. Because you're, you're really, James, you are a narrative player at heart, aren't you? I'll wear that. Well, people, yeah, people always say to me, and I'm like, when Blood and Glory happens again next year, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to play. I'm going to play the um, the narrative event instead the of achievements. the achievements. Yeah, I'm going to do Warhammer achievements instead of the the 200 man or whatever it is now event. Yeah, fair. Um, well. um, and I'll also, be there with best um, best model in the range, the uh, Warden of Eumetrica slash Venari Lord Regent is up there. Uh, clearly, Light of Altharion's in, in for a shout, but Shrine yeah. Luminor. Well, we should we talk a little bit about this? Because this we haven't spoken about this in lists yet, but the I actual mean, um, terrain cool piece, well, it's what it does, right, as well. It's not, I mean, some games you're going to struggle to place it, I think, you know, because of the, when it goes down and the GHB rules about faction terrain. But if you can, I mean, rest in peace, Bone Reaper players, right? But if you can get the Shrine Luminar down, you're going to have a hell of a time. Uh, once per turn, you can reroll a casting, dispelling, or binding roll for a Luminous Realm Lord's hero that's within 12 of the strain feature. So not wholly within, not garrisoned. That reroll is a big deal. But it says, in addition, so from the, from the second battle round, in this train feature has a Shrine Guardian. You can say that you will channel the Shrine's power, which adds 12 to the range of this ability. So within 24 inches of this terrain piece, provided you've got a Shrine Guardian, which is basically a garrison hero, um, you get a 24-inch reroll of casting, dispelling, or unbinding, which is really, really important because what that means for the army is you're no longer having to rely on Teclas for the autocast for these important spells. You can actually take the Shrine Luminor, which is a great piece if you've not seen it. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. And I cannot wait to see people buy loads and cut it up and, and have a nice board of all these shrines. And it reminds me of like rural Japan, you know, with all the small huts and stuff with the big mm. orange gate. Um, but yeah, so 24 inches means you can now re-roll Lambert Light. You can now re-roll Voice of the Mountain or Total Eclipse. You know, with the smaller heroes that perhaps don't have 10 auto-cast spell, you'd be more comfortable saying, okay, well, I've got plus two from the, the Twin Stones, so I'll cast it naturally. If I fail... I'll use my reroll and apply the Twin Stones buff. So now I'm definitely going to get it off. So you always get a free hit of those important spells. Like if you're a Nurgle player and you're casting um, Deluge of Nurgle with Otigus, you're just rolling a seven and hoping, right? There's no there's no help there. However, with the Shrine Luminor, it just shows you that the, the smaller heroes have, have now become more reliable casters than they were before with you know without Teclas on the board, of course, um, which I think is the Shrine Luminor's biggest gift. Now, obviously, having a hero garrisoned in it is super cool because um, everyone likes to see a nice garrison, like garrisoned Capilar or, or, or an Allseeker, or perhaps, I suppose if you're running him, perhaps Elfarion, right? He can stand atop the mountain with his two swords out, just the wind flying through his armor, and he just drops down like the scene out of Game of Thrones when I forget your name. Is it the what's the guy called from the um oh the voice of the morning? You know the two sword guy that fights Sean Bean's oh, yeah. outside yeah, the castle yeah. in, in the, he's just amazing. the ta- Tower of yeah. Dawn or something. Well he's like, I bid you I bid you well in the wars to come, and then he just, <laughs> just he fights he fights those six guys and it's just that's how I imagine Alfarian is. You know, he just walks into a unit with those two swords and he's just like, Let's go, you yeah, know, I'll, I'll fight all of you right now. Um so yeah, Arthur so Dane. There you go. At the Tower of Joy. Yeah. He says so after he... after a brief Google, you know, I can't claim to <laughs> that's not off but the top of my head. If you've not seen that scene, just watch it on YouTube, but it's so cool. Um but the Shrine Luminor. So I think Shrine Luminor, along with the Wind Temple teleport, 
gives a lot of utility to algorithm lists in Numetrica that perhaps didn't exist in the previous book. And I think these are the lists, along with Illumina, along with, say, our course is always strong. Um, I think you'll see these lists rise to the top. Because if more saw guard, charge, turn stone guard, you know, it, they're going to have to hope that you roll some twos. Because if you don't, if you can dodge those spear attacks on a three up, you're rolling ones, the eels don't have much else. And then you're going to kill them. Not to mention, you'll be at minus one to hit with Abdanor. So these eels are now hitting on fours. So they're going to miss a few, just a few threes that should have hit Aaron in addition. So it's really a nice answer, you know, to Deepkin, because they are a strong army at the moment. And I think you metrica and our is not something that they want to see. Because I think if you playing a Sayar um, Lumina Farm of Deepkin, you'd probably be happy that turn three you could win the game there and then with Alternus and, and his friends. This now makes it a much harder question because I'm already going to be established mid-ball with 20 stone guard. I've got all my tech pieces in place. I'm already scoring objectives. So it's like, what does the Deepkin player do? Do they want to come in before then just to try and wilt me down? Do they want to wait until turn three, which is very predictable, so I know what I can save my Aether Quartz for? Um, and make sure that I've got time to get my buffs in place. It's interesting, you know, um, and I think that's maybe why you'll see Lumetrica become more prominent. And that's a good thing, right? Like you don't want one nation being used. We all lived through the Petrifex elite. You know, I used it at events, lots of Bowman players used it. You know, you like variation in nations, right? And I think now the new spell law and the new rules, you're probably looking at Lumetrica, Sar, I mean, I would say Elithia. I understand some people disagree. And then Illumina as well, of course, I think it's a great nation. So you're looking at three or four nations for all this survival. And I think that's a really cool element as well. So yeah, absolutely, James. I, I think you're completely right. So whilst we have given, uh, <laughs> we, we haven't really demonstrated that, have we? We've, we've, we've just spoken about how flexible and, and uh, legitimate perhaps the other the other sub-factions are and we've only given one sub-factions example of, of lists but I think it's a it's a book that that has a lot of flexibility and it's a book that has a lot of longevity and yes fine you know we can argue till the mountain cows come home uh, oh, you about the oh yeah I, 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 sorry it's, it's too easy too easy you know yeah fine the release scheduling and, and whatever and whatnot but you know, now that the whole range is out for the time being, you know, there's always space for, for more pointy L's, no doubt. Um, but yeah, now the whole range is out. I think it's 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 a really fleshed out army, and it and it feels like a finished a finished army book now. It doesn't feel like like a half finished. So I'm I'm really interested to see what people come up with, and I'm also really interested to see you know how people embrace the themes. You know, you and I are are big fans of of themed lists, and and mm -hmm. I think yes, fine. You know, seeing uh, I don't want to call them net lists, but seeing the the popular lists, let's say, mm -hmm. um, that's all well and good. But you know, I'm all about the you know. The, something that's really embracing the kind of blade lords, you know, almost like a kind of um, sword. What's the what was the uh, the Eldritch Council? You know, imagine oh. imagine someone, you know, Eldritch Council player, basically reinventing their Venari blade, their, their Eldritch Council list, but with Venari blade lords uh, and kind of Venari units, and maybe allying in uh, something to, to to kind of act as a dragon or something. So yeah, really interesting. Yeah, I, I really like the units of blade lords. I know they're not super killy and they're not super choppy, and I get that. But for two forty, you're getting twenty wounds with ability to play the courts, also hitting at minus two end. It's not nothing, and they're super cool models, which I'm literally about to build in a minute. Um, so I would really like to see that army and someone theme it. You know, I saw um, Mr. Pro painted and his um, samurai starbone roofers. What if you um, just Matt, samurai Matt Lyons. Star... Mr. Matt Lyons, thank you. Um, with, with an amazing army um, of bone reapers. So I, I wonder if you could do that similar thing with the Blade Lord army and just have loads of samurai, um, mm. which would be very cool. And you could have a cherry blossom tree on your shine luminar. You could have all of your colors in black armor with, with, with the red trim. It would just look awesome. Um, but yeah, you could uh, yeah, you could do a lot of awesome hobby. Absolutely. So yeah, really excited to see some of these models on the tabletop. So James, thank you ever so much for, for joining us. Um, we will be... Uh, we will be covering more Broken Realms content uh, as the as the weeks go by, uh, and James will be returning for our kind of main overview uh, when the when we have clearly we've got Bellicor now, but uh, when we've got um, Ragnos or whatever it is uh, in the future. And and yeah, future. we're going to get into the weeds, you know, because we we have Bellicor and the they've announced the fourth part Ragnos, so those two for sure we're going to get into, and then hopefully we can extend the series with even more. So absolutely, you know, for books yeah. five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten <laughs> for for Broken yeah. Realms Scarsnick when he comes back from the dead. That, if they if they did that, that would be amazing. 
that would be uh, I, i'm not holding my breath so james yeah as i say thank you ever so much for for joining us once again and um i want to also do a quick shout out for 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 just play because uh, have you not launched uh, a, a youtube channel recently or or, or well, new content on the channel rather indeed so we've, we've you know richie asked me to come on and do some back reps we've been launching um, a new back rep format that we have certainly not invented but we are trying to perfect and we are trying to play some good engaging sigma games and you can chat to us whilst we play we can talk about armies uh, it's been going really well so far so we hope people enjoy it and much like this podcast when i paint along whilst i listen to like your peter's episode or you know previous episodes um you can paint along whilst we play you know on a thursday night so thursday nights seven o'clock just play wargamer on youtube come and join us and if not you know that's fine but you can always watch it back during the week um but do so after you've listened to priority World podcasts naturally thanks james i appreciate <laughs> naturally naturally no worries and if, yeah, if people want to find you on twitter where can they find you just at james underscore tinsdale come hit me up talk luminous all day long send me your send me your luminous painted models like i want to see i'm painting mine right now i'm going to show some pictures on twitter when the time is ready um but i would love to see what people are doing with the new models because i think with the new range as well you're going to see a lot of color schemes explored um so that'll also be good like the illumina i know a lot of people are into the gold armor that's in the that's in the tone now that the heavy metal team have done so i'm really excited to see these armors so please just tweet at me and show me fantastic well james thanks very much and until next time take care Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash priority roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve, or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority Roll.